Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is AppSats Radio, help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here. Betrayal trauma. We are AppSats certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. Sometimes listeners want to know about triggers. I'm dealing with the aftermath of my husband's affairs, and he still works the same job that he did when he was acting out. It's a job that allows him to hide his goings-on and one that he stated was the previous trigger for his acting out. The whole 16 and a half years we've been together, he's acted out. In the beginning, what I thought it was was just pornography. Um, It ended up being, I found out two and a half years ago, he had been with multiple prostitutes. I only found out a very small portion of that until about a month ago. How do you cope with all of that when you still have to deal with unavoidable triggers? Well, of course you would feel traumatized by hearing all that information and I gotta tell you Stephanie that's a staggered disclosure that's finding out little bits and pieces about your husband's behavior throughout a time period making you feel insecure unsure and unsafe so what we gotta do is set up a situation whereby you get with a specialist to do a formal disclosure so you can hear everything at one time in a safe environment a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and I am glad to be with you on this Thursday afternoon. You know, I do believe in disclosures, and I was just sharing with a client um, how important I think they are for the partner so that they will know the truth. Um, Now, not every partner wants a disclosure, and that is absolutely up to them. And so this woman that came in right before the show, she said, I feel so sorry for other couples that haven't had the privilege of doing a disclosure. You see, she and her husband participated in a disclosure where she found out everything. And as painful as it was, She's really very, very resilient. And what she knew, that she needed to know the truth to have an official start over. Now, I may have some partners out there that are listening to this and they're like, oh, I'm not necessarily thinking about starting over. And you're exactly right. The disclosure is so that you will know how to proceed next. The partner I had prior to her said, you know, my life's filled with ups and downs. I feel like I'm on a roller coaster and I have a couple good weeks and then and then I'll slide backwards. And she goes, I, I, I am working on reconciliation with you, Carol, because they are. They're working on their relationship. But she said, I also have this nagging feeling 
that I need to know when is enough enough. And told her that she will know, you know, that I have said, I sure hope that if you decide to be committed to rebuilding the relationship, that you give it at least a year. But what I know is that you don't know what you're capable of, and you don't necessarily know exactly what you want. And you're probably still reeling from the discovery, and now you're re-reeling, that's not a word, re-reeling from the disclosure. And so you can do whatever you need. This is really about you, the partner. And if you've got somebody in your life who's telling you it's time to get over it, uh, turn the other cheek, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, then you need to set that person straight. Partner trauma is a brain condition. Trauma like this affects the brain, and you have every right to take in information, take as long as you need to decide how you're going to integrate that, how you're going to make sense of it, and then decide and proceed with caution. We want to keep you safe. So seems like I saw all partners today. My partner before my partner, 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 she said that her husband did say, when are you going to get over this? You know, um, you've been in therapy about six months. When are you going to get over it? And this is the show that tells you the partners, and if we're lucky enough to have any addicts listening too, and I, I know we do actually because they've emailed me, um, it, this is the place where you're going to find out that it is normal, natural, and necessary to be in shock, to be sad, to be angry, and to grieve for as long as you need to grieve. You know, it's no, no joy, joy ride for you to be grieving, just as it is not for the addict. I mean, it, it's very painful for a sex addict to watch his wife grieve. I know that. And therefore, what I really want to tell you is that you need an APSAT partner specialist, a clinician or a coach that understands what all this is about and it will help you to advocate for yourself. And you don't even know what you don't know. But sometimes when you work with a specialist, they know because they've seen it happen over and over and over again. Every single person is different, but there is some predictability in this work. I hate to tell you this. You know, we know whenever discovery occurs, it's going to throw your brain offline. I've never met a woman where it didn't. Although the first partner I talked about today who said she felt it was a privilege to get the disclosure, she's really in pretty good shape. She did her disclosure while she was pregnant. She did her disclosure when she was in the midst 
of some major life changes in their household. And it was really, it's always gratifying when you see somebody who can take in the information and not be as traumatized, but she's a rarity. Uh, That does not happen that often. Sitting back thinking, boy, I was a mess. I was in the fetal position on the floor. I couldn't think. I couldn't speak. You're more the norm initially. But get yourself with a specialist who understands what you're going through, and it will expedite the process of, one, safety and stabilization, and, two, the grief and mourning that you need to go through to get you on the other side, which is where you restore yourself, you restore perhaps the coupleship, you restore your family, and you just end up feeling a little bit more hopeful about life. Now, I say that on the heels of our topic today, and that is when is a therapeutic separation necessary? Because this is a topic that not everybody knows about, and, you know, it may feel like, what is a therapeutic separation? I, I, I kind of know what a, a separation is. You know, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s, most couples got a separation when they were having problems, and then they needed to decide were they going to divorce or not. And then more and more often, separations really are not um, encouraged. I know in the state of Indiana, it's a no-fault state. Anything can happen. Um, Your husband or wife could have had 60 betrayals, and you have no right to kick them out. You have no right to ask them to leave. And you better be careful about making the choice to leave yourself because that could look like an abandonment issue. So in this state that it's a no-fault, judges are really uh, much more proactive in terms of keeping the family together until the divorce is final. And so I know every state is different, but that's where we learn how, how therapeutic separations can be helpful to a couple who needs some space um, to organize their lives and to get their brains back online. And MJ Dennis is going to talk about the fact that a therapeutic separation is really an opportunity to uh, recalibrate, if you will, a little bit and then figure out what you can do to restore the relationship. So that's what she's going to be talking about today. This is her specialty, and we're really excited to have her on the show because she understands this stuff and clearly is able to talk about it in a way that you'll absolutely understand and appreciate. Um, She's an amazing therapist and a great educator, so... We've got her coming on the show in about four minutes. And, again, I understand that part of our listening audience has really wondered, should I get a divorce? 
Should I get a separation? How do I make sense of my life? What do I need to feel safe? And when when I want to feel safe, does that mean that I really have to look at what will physically keep me in a place where I will feel the best about my relationship? And, you know, you can't beat that. When you get in a situation where you decide that you know what you need to feel safe, well, that's always a good thing. And so that's what we're going to be talking to you about is therapeutic separations with MJ Dennis. So now, if you have a question or a concern, you just need to know that, you know, appsats.org is the place to go to find out who can help you. That's APSATS.org. That's uh, the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts and Trauma Specialists. They're both coaches and clinicians who can help support you and direct you and even predict at times what you may be facing right down the road. And it's that organization that was started by Barbara Stephens who wrote My Sexually Addicted Spouse with co-author Marsha Means. Very much a staple in the community. I was just talking the other day to Mari Lee, who wrote Facing Heartbreak, uh, the workbook for partners. And she was saying, you know, part of this work has been so impactful to me because I was a partner. And I know what I didn't get and what I needed. And that's exactly the same thing that Barbara Stephens says. She said she had to create what she knew she needed in her own life. And that was by writing a book, doing research, creating an institute that trains and certifies partner specialists. And now look, we got a radio show. It's all good. Be thinking about how you might be able to give back when, once you're feeling better, once you've got your confidence, once you feel like you can help other people work through this dilemma. It's all about that 12-step work, you know, giving back, doing for others the way you would have liked to have had that experience for yourself. And, you know, we're really at a place now where there are some good groups out there. There are, you know, podcasts and 12 steps and, you know, they're great clinicians and coaches that know what they're doing, wonderful books. So we've got some resources going on, even though we are pioneers in this field, all of us together. There's so much more we can learn. There's so much more we can give. But it's all about finding your power in the midst of a situation where initially you felt powerless. 
So that's why we're talking about therapeutic separations because it's one way to ascertain your power. And I've got MJ Dennis on the line. She is a specialist on therapeutic separations. MJ, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank How you for you? having me. Oh, I'm doing Absolutely. great. I was really looking forward to talking with you today. Well, I know that this is um, an area that's near and dear to your heart because you've seen it do so much good in the community of sex addicts and partners. So first of all, you've got a lot of initials after your name. Can you share with our listening audience who you are and what kind of training have you had? And and tell us a little bit about you. Okay. Uh, So my name is MJ Dennis. Um, I'm a therapist in private practice in Austin, Texas. I do have a lot of letters after my name uh, that don't mean much to most people, but um, they do have significance, so I'll tell you what they mean. Uh, I'm an LPC. That stands for a licensed professional counselor. I'm also an LMFT, and that's a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, I wanted to become licensed um, both as an individual, uh, as a therapist who counsels individuals, and I also wanted the training to really know how to work with couples and families, um, thus the two licensures. Um, Additionally, I'm an ASECT CST, and what that means is I am a sex therapist who's been certified by the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Uh, Additionally, I'm an APSATS CCPS, uh, meaning I'm a clinical partner specialist certified by the Association for Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists. Um, The practice I work in in Austin, um, we we are affiliated with a a business called the Affair Recovery Center. And as a therapist, I've been invited to um, work at times with um, the Affair Recoveries um, uh, program that helps couples heal after infidelity. And so many times clients would come to Crossroads to do counseling with the counselors over here. And I was seeing couples who uh, not only had experienced infidelity, but um, I recognized patterns of compulsive betrayal behaviors. And so Early on in my career, I realized I needed to become educated in what I was seeing, and what I was seeing was sex addiction um, or compulsive, out-of-control sexual behaviors. And um, I was hearing stories from some of my clients about something called therapy-induced trauma when they would go to therapy, and if the therapist was not educated in infidelity recovery, Um, They would sometimes be traumatized by the therapeutic process, and I didn't want to do that to anyone. So um, while I didn't want to become a CSAT, I I was not interested in becoming a certified sex addiction therapist. I really have a heart for the partners, and I was seeing betrayal trauma. And so um, I crossed paths with Barb Steffens, the lady who wrote Your Sexually Addicted Spouse, and um, learned about APSATS, her organization that trains therapists and coaches in how to treat partner trauma. Um, and that, that was just um, a gift to me when I realized this is exactly what I need. 
Um, this will help me help my clients. And so I leaned into my training through APSATS, became um, certified as a partner trauma specialist, um, knowing that I really wanted to help the clients coming into my therapy room. Um, and that blended nicely with my sex therapy certification because, um, you know, as infidelity and betrayal impacts people in so many ways, including impacting um, their sexuality and sexual self-esteem. And so um, I put all those things together to um, really try to help people. Those are all my letters right now. Well, yeah, and where I can really see that you stand out is both your compassion for partners and wanting to be able to help them. And then having that ASEC um, designation really allows you to work in the field of sexuality, helping partners, and you know, whether they're, oh, whether they decide to stay with their their spouse and resume or maybe for the first time um, gain some healthy sexuality or, I mean, sex is something we don't talk about. And so the fact that you have been designated and certified to be able to help people with their sexuality in general, it's more than just education. This is a real specialty that you have. Um, So I appreciate the fact that we've only got a couple of you in our organization. And so if, if our listeners have questions about their sexuality, I encourage them to contact me at carol at carolthecoach.com and, and I'll move them over to your, over to Texas, if you will. Okay. So that they I'm can get some help a, from you. Carol, I was going to say, I'm, I've actually started my life coach training um, in an effort to be able to uh, talk with people outside of the state of Texas. My licensing only allows me to counsel within Texas. Um, So I'm taking steps so that I can be able to do some coaching outside of Texas so that I can reach some more people and, and help others. Well, being a coach myself, I know how important that is uh, to be able to to be a consultant, if you will, and and coach people to the right places, resources, and to to get them the help that they deserve. So congratulations. I'm excited to have you join coaching group. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Now, Now, tell me, MJ, how did you first learn about therapeutic separation? Well, um, working with uh, my my practice is um, split really into two main categories. So I have clients who seek me out because um, because I have a sex therapy certification, um, and I have clients um, a large portion of my practice working with couples who have experienced infidelity um, and or working specifically with partners, uh, current or former partners of sex addicts. Um, When I was working with, uh, in working with couples, um, you know, recovering after sex addiction, as you know, is, uh, it's a hard process. And sometimes couples would reach a place where they didn't want to divorce, but they they wanted to choose separation, and so I started looking out there, what kind of information is out there, what can I find 
on therapeutic separation, and there's not a lot of information. I did find some really good information written by Vicki Tidwell Palmer, um, and uh, that was helpful. So I had to, you know, I jumped into this arena of helping couples who didn't want to divorce but who did want to separate with the intention um, and the hope of reconciliation, of coming back together and being able to live in the same home. So some of my education about therapeutic separation came from the works of Vicki Tidwell Palmer, and the rest of my education came from walking with couples through this process and learning, um, learning how to do it, so to speak. And so I'm, I'm, I'm speaking today from uh, much of my personal experience in helping these couples. Well, yeah, and it's kind of like so many other people in this field, you recognize that you knew you didn't know what you didn't know, and so you went after it and looked for it and found out there really wasn't much about it. And so you researched it to the best of your ability. You added your own experience. And, and now you've created opportunities to be able to teach people about therapeutic separation. Yes. I, I, I see that, you know, I know that this recovery process is sometimes brutal. It's heartbreaking. It takes time. And sometimes... Um, you know, people desperately want to save their marriages, but sometimes it's the recovery process is too much. And when given an option to take a break for the purposes of um, health of the relationship, um, therapeutic separation is not a it's not permission to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It's not permission for more betrayal to happen, but it's a real process that is overseen by a therapist. Um, so the separation is under the guidance of a therapeutic team with clearly defined goals and boundaries, with designated benchmarks and um, an identified reassessment timeline for the purposes of getting back together, of being able, hopefully, to live in the same home with greater health, you know, presenting that to a couple who is despairing and who have tried so hard to repair, um, that that seems like such a good option for people. And, and people lean into maybe that's hope for us. Maybe if we can do the therapeutic separation, we'll make it and we won't have to get divorced. Well, and I would imagine um, hearing the word words therapeutic separation could be very, very scary because my experience is most sex addicts, when they hear the words disclosure, they think, if I tell the truth, she's going to walk out. And I would think the same thing with therapeutic separation. If I give her some space and let her find out that she can live without me, she's not going to want me back. So is there much... Is there much convincing or education that goes into working with a couple on the reasons for therapeutic separation? Sure, yes. And, you know, I think you're, like you're touching on that fear piece that is 
um, so very real. I was thinking of the partner's experience and her fear. You know, I've heard from my partners, I'm so afraid to live in two different places. I'm so afraid to do this separation because what will he be doing when I'm not there? And and my ladies sometimes say, you know, by living in the same house, I think I'm keeping him and I'm him safe. I'm keeping him safe from acting out, from having slips. Um, I'm policing him. I'm making sure that nothing else is going to happen. Um, and if we get separated, then what? Will more betrayal happen? And so sometimes we have to talk through those fears. Um, and create a safety plan to try to ensure as much safety and accountability and support as possible. Because really and truly, if somebody is going to choose to betray their partner, they will choose to betray whether they're living together or not. And so we have to talk through that fear um, to see if therapeutic separation is a good fit for that couple. Yeah, that makes total sense. So let's go over some of the whys and whens. What kind of situations might warrant a therapeutic separation? Um, there are two, two topics that come to the top of the list for me, and those are safety and sobriety. And so in thinking about safety, um, a therapeutic separation uh, might be considered if there are breaks in safety, such as um, if the if the person with the sexual addiction is continuing to act out, um, if he is continuing to betray, if he's continuing to lie and be deceptive, or um, to gaslight his partner. Um, sometimes a therapeutic separation. Um, is a good fit to create safety for the partner. Um, if there's physical or emotional abuse happening, sometimes a therapeutic separation is in order to create physical and emotional safety for the partner. Um, and sometimes the, the trauma and the overwhelm um, that a partner feels um, living in the home day to day with someone who is abusive, um, you know, gaslighting is a, can be a form of emotional abuse. And so if, if a partner is in that environment day after day, the betrayals continue to happen, the therapeutic separation um, could be in order to, um, to stop that, to stop those patterns, to give her a chance to heal, to catch her breath, um, to gain some clarity. Also, I think of sobriety. Um, a therapeutic separation might be in order if the um, addict has repeated slips or relapses. Sometimes I see my couples get into a pattern where um, he uh, continues to have these betrayal behaviors. She's in constant fear of more betrayal distress following um, the acting out. Um, he f functions in a, in a um, cycle of shame, stress, acting out, 
shame, stress, acting out, and and when it becomes such a an ingrained pattern, and there is not health happening in the marriage, and it's too painful, that can be a good time for a therapeutic separation. I I also think when the addict is choosing not to engage in recovery activities, if he might say, yep, I have a sex addiction, nope, I'm not interested in going to groups or to therapy, and he's refusing to help himself manage his addiction and be in a place of health, that could definitely be a time for a therapeutic separation. Um, And also, um, I think, you know, the why couples might consider the separation, um, in some ways that can really help the addict become responsible for his own sobriety. Um, Sometimes partners get into the into a place where they feel they take on this over-responsibility and they start managing the addict's sobriety for him. Um, and it causes great distress for both um, both partners in the marriage. And so sometimes the therapeutic separation can help break that cycle of the partner managing the addict's recovery. Yeah, those are all really good reasons to want to stay safe and really get that space and that distance Mm -hmm. so that I I always say so that a partner who may be so traumatized will begin to feel safe again or an addict who may be distracted by the relational aspects of the relationship can really work on his recovery. Mm -hmm. Now, you you know you mentioned fears of a partner, and you know, you brought up every single fear that we clearly hear from partners when it comes to getting separated or going on vacation or doing a girls' trip or visiting an in-law or a, uh, their own parents, and they do they feel responsible on some level for helping the addict maintain. His, his or her recovery. So I, I'd just like to ask you, MJ, what are some of the things that you might say to a partner to help reassure her that go beyond the one thing you said, which is, hey, if they're going to act out, they're going to find a way to act out, whether you're there or not. What are some other things that you share to kind of take them off the hook? Well, I think about... I often use the butterfly metaphor and talk about how when the caterpillar puts itself into the cocoon um, and you know turns into a butterfly, that the butterfly must break out of the cocoon itself. If we if we feel sad for the poor butterfly who's in the cocoon and we cut open the cocoon and let the butterfly out, the butterfly actually will die. The act of pushing out of that cocoon strengthens the butterfly's wings so that it can fly. And so I think about that metaphor when I think about um, a, a person with a sex addiction who must learn how to strengthen their wings, so to speak. They must learn how to manage their sobriety. They must learn how to care for themselves. They must learn how to recognize their triggers, 
what might lead them to act out and learn how do I keep myself safe. And, you know, some people look at sex addiction as an intimacy disorder. And from that lens, somebody with a sex addiction must learn how to connect with other people, that when they're in distress or they're triggered, that they need to learn how to reach out and connect with others for safety and support. And so if the partner is doing, is managing the sobriety for the addict, if they're taking over the roles and being vigilant, checking phone records, um, uh, having a tracker, you know, all the things that that she might need to feel safe, you know, I want my partners to feel safe and also to ease the hypervigilance so that the addict can start being responsible for his own sobriety, for keeping himself safe, for connecting with other safe people in his recovery community because that's going to allow him to fly. He needs to develop his muscles so that he can do it so she doesn't have to. And sometimes that can give her permission when she goes, okay, I know I'm doing these safety-seeking behaviors. That, of course, I am. That makes sense. However, if I if I do too much, if I'm in there and I'm not letting him have that experience, I'm actually not helping him or me or us, and I need to back off and let him be more responsible for himself. Well, you uh, bring up a really good point because I have an article that is titled, When You Help, You Hurt. And this is just meant for anybody who ends up doing too much for somebody else. You know, there it's clear that if you feel like you're instrumental in keeping somebody clean, sober from drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever, and you're spending a lot of extra energy, your own personal energy, on keeping them uh, sober, then you're really denying them the chance to do it on their own and to feel good about that. And as well as, obviously, you're spending your own very precious energy on somebody else. And, you know, we really know that intentional self-care is so important in working with partners. They need lots and lots and lots and lots of that to get back on their feet and to feel better again. Yeah. So I, I, I like that metaphor very much because it does really encourage people to uh, allow the addict to grow their own wings. Now, what do you see as the first steps towards implementing um, a therapeutic separation. I mean, what has to happen? What do you do for our clinicians and coaches out there listening? What would you advise? Well, I was thinking about, um, you know, how that's come up in my office. And so as I see my couples becoming, you know, we're working toward healing, we're working toward repairing the relationship, creating safety and stability, um, and if I see the clients are, like, things are going awry, and despite their best efforts, either there are safety risks, uh, there, you know, the reasons that I talked about earlier, if there's problems with safety and there's problems with sobriety, if there's any kind of abuse, if there are 
unhealthy or unmanageable patterns that are happening in this relationship, um, I will plant the seed. If the, if the couple starts talking about maybe this can't be fixed, maybe we need to get divorced, that's also a time I'll get in there and, and offer this as an option. Like, wait a minute, maybe, you know, if, if the client only sees either we keep doing what we're doing, even though it's unhealthy, it's toxic, it's harmful, or we need to get divorced, I can't do this anymore. That's a great time to offer for the clinician to offer the option of, wait a minute, we have another option to consider. What about therapeutic separation where there are, there's a lot of care um, around the separation, there's accountability around the separation, um, and starting to talk about it's not I'm, you two, I'm sending you two to different places and good luck with that. Instead, the therapist is an active part in creating um, the goals and the boundaries and the operation so everyone is on the same page. And in creating that, um, it, the couple along with the therapist creates a formal written document. So it's in writing. Everybody knows um, uh, how this separation will go. Um, I, and thinking about this topic, there are, there are. Um, I'd love to break that down if time permits to talk about some of the therapist goals and the addict's goals and the partner's goals in this therapeutic separation. Okay, and so again, if you were going to be breaking down some of those goals, one or two goals might look like. Well, I think about. Um, for the for the therapist, um, <laughs> there's right there's some work to be done for the therapist. The therapist really holds space to help the couple talk about things such as um, the length of the two dwelling separation. You know, how long might we expect this to last? Um, there's something to be said for asking the couple to consider separating for at least. 90 days. Um, the sometimes when there are unhealthy patterns, it, you know, it takes some time for uh, the, the the family system to settle, so to speak. It takes time for the addict to learn how to become responsible for his sobriety. It takes some time for the partner to refocus her healing efforts on herself. So we talk about the length of time. We also talk about living arrangements, who will move out, who will stay in the home. We talk about visitations, such as um, with children or with pets, um, how frequently will the person who moved out, how frequently will they come back to the home to visit with the children or with the pets. And we talk about plans um, for the person who moved out to come back into the home um, you know, what time of day um, will that person come into the home when the, pers when the uh, person who's living in the home is there or when they're gone? We have to have lots of safety and clarity on the visitation. We also talk about well, communication. Oh, yes. 
What were you going to say, Carol? I was going to say that makes a lot of sense because you really do need well-developed boundaries, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yes. We, I, I think as I've been doing, walking couples through therapeutic, uh, through therapeutic separations, um, I've come to have eyes more and more on, um, on the topics that need to be discussed ahead of time that we, with as much clarity um, as possible, to create some security for the couple so they know where they stand, so they can feel safe that, you know, if, say, it's the wife who stays in the house and the husband moves out, she needs to feel the safety that he's not just going to come in when she's not home, that he's not going to just come in in the middle of the night, that, you know, the boundaries are respected and they have agreed upon times for um, him to come into the home so she knows what to expect, he knows what to expect, they can help their children know what to expect. And that, that even well, that kind of segues good. into yeah, communication. Well, I How think so? that one of in, in that the communication arena of uh, this therapeutic separation, and we make sure that we talk about all kinds of communication issues, such as um, will there be face-to-face talking during the separation time? How, to what extent will the couple email? Will they text? Uh, what is the content of those conversations? What are the th- topics we will talk about? What are the topics we are not going to talk about? Perhaps there are some topics that only get talked about in the therapy room. And perhaps we protect the couple by um, having boundaries around um, the content. Sometimes I talk, well, all the time, I talk with my couples about bookends. Uh, Some couples like to have connection, communication, first thing in the morning and last thing at night, right, bookends. So the couple might decide, we'll text, good morning, I'm thinking about you in the morning, and good night, I hope you had a good day at the end. And sometimes that might be the only communication they have if the couple decides, but they know that they have some contact each day. Um, We also talk about in the realm of uh, communication, I'm thinking about the content of the therapy sessions. And as part of this written formal document um, that we start with at the beginning of the separation, we'll even talk about um, check-ins. Will check-ins be done just in the therapy room with the counselor present? Will check-ins be done at the house, at a coffee shop? And we talk about how, how will they check in with each other and to what extent do they want to share information? And we want to wrestle with that before they separate. We talk about in, you know, the content of the therapy session regarding emotional connection and emotional intimacy, how how much are they going to share thoughts and feelings? We talk about repair and empathy um, about in the therapy room, helping the couple grieve their losses together, to give and receive amends, to take steps toward forgiveness, and you know, trying to make sure that the content of the communication matches where the couple is in their recovery process. Um, I often um, 
see couples making requests of each other during initially during the therapy sessions only um, as it's a safe place. And then as they move through the separation, you know, more and more of these conversations often can be had outside of the therapy room. Initially, the therapy room is a safe place, and then couples take on more and more autonomy with that. Well, that makes so much sense. You know, MJ, in some ways, you're doing a lot of the early couples recovery work that you would do normally with a couple that wasn't getting a therapeutic separation. So I can see the Mm -hmm. crossover and how helpful it would be. Yes, yes. Um, One of the things, one of the fears that comes up a lot, Carol, you know, is that fear of if we separate, is that permission to be single? Does that mean we can go and date? And so that's a topic that prior to the separation, that we have a lot of clarity around the couple's expectations for um, monogamy, for dating. You know, what are we doing here? We want everybody to be on the same page and have the same expectations. You know, for, for the couples I've worked with, the therapeutic separation was not permission to see other people. It was a separation for the purposes of healing and repair so that the couple can reconcile. So it's not been a, hey, we're going to separate and then we're going to date. Nope, that's not happened because that would probably thwart (laughs) reconciliation, I imagine. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, really, it's so hard to navigate through all this, and that's why you need a trained expert with it. I'm so glad you're getting your coaching because couples oftentimes don't know how to proceed. They don't know if they should date. They don't know if they should not date. They don't know if they should send a text that says, good morning, I'm thinking of you. They don't know if they should encourage. They don't know if they should discourage. I mean, I just had somebody today who's therapeutically separated, and she said, I did not want to participate in Valentine's Day. He wanted a special date. And she said, I did not want to reward what I consider to be rough, tough behavior um, from the past because I'm not ready yet. And yet I do want to work this out with him. So, you know, it, is, it can be a very challenging situation. And it sounds like your life experience has helped you navigate that. Yes. Having more and more clarity on how to help couples move through this process. Right, it's overwhelming. It's an overwhelming process. And so to have that that therapeutic team there for support to help with clear direct communication, to help move through the emotional topics, I think it um is that extra boost to help couples get toward reconciliation, right? This is hard, and we want to set them up for success as much as we can. You know, I was thinking about, right? I was thinking about the the addict's goals and the partner's goals um, when we're considering a therapeutic separation, and in some ways they're, you know, they're similar. Um, the addict's goals. You know, um, I know I refer to, I say he, knowing that an addict could be either gender. For the purposes of today, I'm referring to the addict as he um, and the partner as she. 
So in this case, thinking about the addict, you know, how will he spend his time when he's not living with his spouse? If whether he moves out or she moves out, um, very often the partner feels fear of, you know, what's what's he going to do when I'm not around, and and how's he going to keep himself safe? And and so the addict's goals are to to be cognizant of and intentional about how he will spend his time, how will he convey that to his spouse, and to what extent um, do does he want to share and to what extent does she want to hear how he's spending his time. You know, how will he maintain his sobriety and who will he lean on for support? A lot of that is how is he going to maintain, you know, keep sober and create, learn to be connected with others in his recovery community. Um, so we want him to have clarity, and then she wants information often. Um, but the same thing for the partner. Who, what will she do with her time when not living with her husband? And who, who will she lean on for support? And how will she lean into healing her trauma? So we do want to talk about that prior to the, to the separation happening. Well, we only have a couple of minutes left, MJ, and I'm wondering if people want to get a hold of you, if they want more information, if they want to read any of your blogs or any of your information, how can they do that? Ah, So if they Google my name, MJ Dennis, with one N, um, they will be able to find me. Uh, I work in a practice called Crossroads Counseling Associates. Um, and so they will be able to find my website and um, click there so that they can uh, uh, get the phone number to be able to contact me. Um, I can give the phone number right now to Crossroads for any of the listeners if they wanted to reach out to see if they could schedule an appointment. The number at Crossroads is 512-346. 9299, and that's in Austin, Texas. Okay, so again, that is area code 512-346-9299. I'm speaking yes. with MJ yes. Dennis, who obviously has her certification and training in sex education. She is a an APSAT CCPS. She's partner specialist clinician. Um, an LMFT and LPC. So, MJ, thank you so much for this valuable information. And um, I look forward to following through and talking more with you about what you're finding in this community on separation. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me, Carol. Uh Uh-huh. That was MJ Dennis, and as you can see, Therapeutic separation is not to to be on your way out. Therapeutic separation is to be safe while you're deciding what you need to restore the coupleship. That is of the utmost importance. So I appreciate you joining us for the show. And, again, if you have any questions, you can email me at carol at carolthecoach.com. And if you need a specialist, a partner specialist that's a coach or a clinician, 
you can go to APSATS.org for the partner specialists that can help you during this really tough situation. So as I end the show, my favorite saying, there will only be one of you at all times. I want you fearlessly to have the courage to be yourself. Make it a great day. For more information, go to appsats.org, the association of partners of sex addicts trauma specialists, to find a professional in your area who is trained to help you after sexual betrayal.